Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome back once again to another episode of Maker That Money, the podcast where we talk about turning your hobby into your jobby. Uh, with me, as always, my my good partner in crime, my friend, my rock, Mr. Andrew Mayhall. Your my rock, my my yeah, my sounding board, my you know, you get to you get to I listen to me complain about everything. But uh, most of all, my friend and my my colleague uh, and uh, Andrew, how are you this week? How how did this week go? I know it's been busy, busy ramping up for Earth, which is coming up yes. in a couple of weeks. We're excited about that. That's the East Coast Rep Rap Festival. For anybody listening, doesn't know what Earth is, uh, also the place we live. But how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing great. I, uh, I I can't wait for Earth to actually be here, but also I think more so wait for it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> You're already talking about the end of Earth before Earth has even start. Yeah, no, I know. It's we get this uh, this frothy, just like work work up fever, uh, trying to get into yep. the mode for you know trade show time and season and stuff like that yeah well we yeah. we're we're doing earth right and then we're going to be at the orlando maker fair less than a month later right so <laughs> well yeah it's going to be pretty crazy let me ask you this how much of that work are you able to like are you, are you going to have a you're not doing like a big booth in the same fashion are you yeah, so oh, we, you do, are. we still kind of set up the same sort of thing down at uh, Orlando. You know, it, it's one of those things where we've uh, we've gone to like pretty much every maker fair that we could. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a fun time. So we kind of borrow all of the work that we do for Earth and Murph. Uh, those are the big shows for us, and then we'll just kind of set up the same thing um, down there. So it's a lot easier, but it's still. Within a month later, you know, we're we're going to another trade show halfway across the country. <laughs> Never any. It seems like there's a season to it, right? Uh, where yeah. you know the during the summer season and stuff. I don't know. I guess there's trade shows year round and stuff like that. And yeah. It's uh, as a small business entrepreneur, it's always an interesting, you know, trying to strike that balance of getting out, interacting, mm-hmm. networking. You know, there's tons of value in it, but uh, obviously, it's just one of many things that we need to. Yep to do one of many hats we need to wear and it's very uh, intensive right labor intensive to to prep oh, yeah because yeah. you know unlike when you can just hide at home in your dirty shop and nobody comes and sees <laughs> it it's like you're trying to put your best foot forward and present you know uh, uh the yep. best you know you're trying to you're trying to well, launch new products. we often. always we always yeah. try and one up the previous show right yeah and we what are is always that? trying to like you know <laughs> right like i showed that oh. off last time i gotta have something better to show this time yeah. yeah yeah and then and then we never we never plan long you know far enough ahead where it's always a crunch time right before it so you know i'm just i'm feeling under the pressure but uh you know overall i'm good <laughs> yeah uh i always say it's like i always wait till the last minute because all that's left ever feels like is the last minute right uh so absolutely so yeah uh, greetings to everybody joining us in the chat. We uh, record Maker That Money every Friday at 9 a.m. on YouTube. So if you want to interact with us on uh, the chat, feed us questions, feed us comments, uh, you're welcome to do so. Good to see some familiar faces, some familiar avatars and handles and stuff yeah. in the in the chat. Uh, good international crowd again this morning, this evening, uh, depending on where, you, where you're from. But uh, awesome. We got... Uh, Oh, there's a feisty crowd this morning. Always a feisty yes, crowd we do. in the chat. <laughs> uh, but greetings, uh, Krusty at Practical Printing. Liz, good to see you. Nathan. Uh, Fotis Mint, he's going to be at Earth. He's a oh, yeah. uh, 
you guys got to go check out Photosys stuff. He's like a prolific uh, 3D modeler uh, making just endless streams of epic models. He's actually he's actually going to be hanging out with me for a little bit. or for, well, you know, and, and us because we kind of share a, oh, yeah. a, an adjoining yeah. booth space. But he's going to be signing. He's, we're going to have a, our oh, first boy. signing event, signing his uh, models at, at Earth. We're very excited for that. And we haven't, we haven't really pushed out the official announcement, even though I've kind of teased it here and there. But uh, good opportunity. That's Anybody awesome. watching, coming to Earth, bring your Photos Mint models and get the man himself to sign, sign it for awesome. you. Which will increase <laughs> the value of that model uh, by at least 300 times, I'm told. Uh, at least. Okay. You know, at least, right? When you look at the, <laughs> you know, what it, we need like a Beckett's guy. You remember? You ever collect baseball cards or any of that stuff? Where it was like you could see the I'm, value. I really wasn't into that, but yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you look it up and you say a photo submit, you know, original is worth mm-hmm. X amount. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, today, uh, today on the pod, uh, I want to talk <laughs> about a phenomenon that I'm uh, encountering and you're encountering, and I think we all encounter oh, yes. at some extent. Small business, especially as a startup, uh, as a bootstrapped uh, environment where your resources mm-hmm. are limited, especially. But it's something that I affectionately like to call the pit, or the divide, okay. or the chasm, or the, you know, I've used a, a number of different t- terms for it. And maybe you guys call it something uh, different in your in your lives. Mm-hmm. If you're out there, let us know uh, once I define it here for you. Like if if you have ever tried to define this. But uh, the pit, to me, uh, is is the are these gaps that exist between where you are and where you want to be, and they oftentimes okay. represent what feel like very daunting challenges to get to what you would consider the next level. So, for example, there's a because there's a, I think there's a number of business scenarios where th- this pit exists. One of the ones I think we've talked about before is in the let's just talk about in the world of like purchasing. And we talked about mm-hmm. the difference between making it ourselves. We're makers. We like to make everything ourselves. Sure. And okay. going out mm-hmm. to buy, right? Mm-hmm. And you, I think you talked about this last week when you started getting trying to get pricing yep. to want to yes. buy in Absolutely. bulk, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, if you're not talking about a number that is enticing enough for a third party vendor, you know, to to get out of bed for, like they just they don't yep. they won't even give you the time of day, right? Yep. And so you're confronted with this odd space where you're, you're, you're bigger than where you have time. You know that it's not going to be effective use of your time to do this yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But then yep. to be able to purchase at the scale, at the volume mm-hmm. that you need for it to be like really, you know, beneficial cost uh, reduction, feels like you know oftentimes thirty thousand units, fifty thousand units. Oh yeah, and you don't want to commit. Insane. To that kind mm-hmm. of amount because you have no idea how long it's going to take you to sell those. You might make a change and all this stuff. And so, you know, I oftentimes say it feels like, <laughs> uh, it, you know, we, we hear fortune favors the bold, but fortune favors like the successful in a lot of this, in the case where it's like the, the people that benefit most from cost of scale are the ones that need it the least, right? It's like, it, I don't want to say <laughs> need it the least. You're always happy yeah. to be able to bring your cost down. But it, yep. being able to bring your cost down effectively is a luxury of a certain degree of success. And when you're Absolutely, in the mode where yeah. every penny counts and you really want that bulk discount and you're really trying mm-hmm. to strive for it, you know, yes. by the time you can afford to commit to 100,000 units of something, it's not quite as painful of a decision. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I look absolutely. at that and I feel like it's a giant pit, right? Because I'm like, how am yep. I going to get from the 5,000, which is a lot to me. Like if you sit down and package mm-hmm. 5,000 of anything or whatever, you realize that's a lot oh, yeah. of something. You know, we think yep. oh, it's not a big deal. No, it's it takes a lot, a lot of time, even if it's a simple thing like putting mm-hmm. screws in a bag. Yeah. Right. So how do I get from 5,000 to, to 50,000 or, you know, 10 X or a hundred X or whatever to the yes. point where we're talking about fractions of a penny versus, you know, a dime or 20 cents a piece, you know, like, cause it's sure that, that economy of scale is feels massive. Right. Hmm. So yeah. that's, that's one example of the pit. Have you come across others that you can think of that you would define as like this, that, that chasm between where you are and where you want to be? I mean, yeah, you know, the, one of those interesting things is, is when we, so when we started Gloop, um, you know, we, we wanted to have like full automated production, you know, automated bottling lines because we knew it would drive the cost down. Right. Um, but, you know, we couldn't go out the gate with that because those machines are like $80,000. Um, and Capital so, you know, for sure. like what, what, what do we, what do we do as a, you know, as, as, as kind of a scrappy entrepreneur is, is we try and figure out how to, how to imitate that as, as little as possible or as, as close as possible with as little cash as possible. Right. And, you know, I, I, I remember sharing this on, uh, on the podcast a while ago, like how we were cutting our labels by hand because ordering 10,000 labels was just too expensive for us at the moment. Like, right. you know, when we first started. Right. And so we'd print them out on paper, on like vinyl label paper, and we'd cut them by hand. Um, you know, so <laughs> I, I think that's more of like an operational thing. You were kind of hinting on that. It's like, okay, well, you know, like instead of purchasing, you know, 5,000 widgets from someone else, it's like, okay, well, we're going to do it ourselves. And we're going to make it as, as to the point where we can get it to cheap enough where it's affordable. But, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, with our with our bottling system, like we would bottle everything by hand. We would then label the bottles by hand. And, and there's a certain cost to that. And, you know, having to figure out what could we do to get to having that completely automated. Right. <laughs> and a lot of times the challenge is we get so caught up in just needing to get it done that we don't actually sit down and price out what the true cost is. We've talked about this plenty of time, too, because we do not, especially as makers, one of the, you know, if there were seven deadly sins of makers, the first one or one of the top ones is we do not value mm-hmm. our time properly in terms of like on a, yes. on a true business case, right? Like in terms of like what's, what's the opportunity cost of what you should really be sent, spending your time doing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And a lot of times maybe we do and we sit down and say fundamentally, this is not a good use of my time, but it does not mm-hmm. mean that I can afford to pay somebody else yet either. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's so easy for us to be like, well, this isn't what I should be doing, but it doesn't mean, yeah, there, there, mm-hmm. there, there, there's something to add. Yeah. To. So we we're constantly balancing that stuff. One of the other examples mm-hmm. that I feel like I come across of the pit, the divide, the reason I stole the pit, by the way, for, for those of you who haven't, there's a, there's this, um, I think it was released on Apple TV or whatever. But it was a movie called uh, Greyhound, but with uh, with uh, Tom Hanks in it. Did you ever see it? It's about World War II. I don't think so. Convoy okay. crossing, and they call the area in the uh, mid Atlantic where they don't have air cover and are most vulnerable to U boats. Back in World War II, they called that the pit, the black okay. pit, because okay. there was a there was a spot like in the midway where where they couldn't have air cover on either side, which made them most susceptible. And I feel like that this this pit to me is like one of the most fraught areas, right? Where it feels sure. like, okay. like I want to grow. And, but I, if I'm going to commit to crossing this pit, it feels more risky than 
you know, when I'm just doing my little incremental approaches closer to shore, I guess. Sure. I so sure. I, I, I kind of stole it from that. I love that movie. I always put that on. Uh, highly recommend if you have a chance, if you're into World War II movies and stuff like that. That's kind of where I stole it from. But one of the okay. other examples I was going to give was the um, uh, moving out of your garage, getting into your own space at first, mm-hmm. right? Because okay, yes, going from basically having no rent, let's just call. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you and for tax purposes, you can argue you can you can apportion a period, you know, portion of your mm-hmm. rent or your mortgage toward you know a business expense. But for for the most part, we'll we'll call it. You needed to have a place to live anyway. You're working out of your garage. You have zero rent. Yep. You're, you you have to have utilities. You have your internet. You have your gas and water and electricity and yep. all of that stuff there. And then that leap to having another place and a, a massive just overhead for a facility feels very mm-hmm. daunting, right? I, I mean, yes. a lot of you guys are probably in that space now. That's something we're going through mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Like, literally right now. Yeah. So, so yeah, when you look absolutely. at your budget, that's not something you've historically really budgeted for. And mm-hmm. so I think when we think about like, well, what is a small business? And we think of, I don't want to say legitimacy, but like, like places you are mm-hmm. in your business um, mm-hmm. and, and, and being taken seriously as a, as a business oftentimes has to do with your risk profile and your expenditure profile. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and it's not to say that you can't operate completely a successful business out of your garage or your barn or your whatever, entirely i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's a fantastic strategy if you can do that effectively but obviously there's challenges with that if you want to hire people you don't want them in your house a lot of time and stuff like that so we typically think that level of growth is going to require a dedicated space and all that stuff and that feels really daunting right because yeah even a starter space so i'll just give you guys Mm -hmm. a real you know i'll share numbers because i think that it's helpful this is i know talking finances is taboo and stuff sometimes but just to give you guys a sense of it, when we went from the garage to a shop, like I had a very, we have a very, we're still in a small shop space, what I consider it's 17, mm-hmm. it's less than 1700 square feet. Um, just an open, it was a metal building, a single roll up door, like a tiny little 10 by 15 office space. None of it conditioned, you know, none of that mm-hmm. stuff and all that. Uh, and I was lucky enough at the time we were paying 900 bucks, 950 bucks a month, which is, okay. It was something like seventy cents a square foot, which is a smoking oh, wow. a smoking deal sure. for around here. Like, because everything yeah. else I was looking at was a buck or a buck fifteen a square foot. You know, just to give you a wow. sense. Now, where you are, obviously, cost of rent is different. Wherever other people mm-hmm. are in the world, it's going to be more expensive, less expensive. But yeah. you know, at the very minimum, we're talking about that's a that's a thousand dollar. Let's just call it a thousand dollar rent expense that I did not have before. Okay. Yep. Our average PG&E bill is somewhere between mm-hmm. seven and eight hundred bucks right now. We have an incredible. We pay a lot for power. It sucks. Don't get me started Oof. on it. Okay. Yeah. That that, I mean, my sure. electric bill was higher here when we were operating here, but not nearly to that extent. Sure. Um, what else? So insurance is a huge piece of it, right? Because yeah. you, you know, mm-hmm. you need insurance, you know, insure everything in there. It's not going to be covered by your homeowner's or your renter's insurance. So your, your business stuff might not be, you know, you need yeah. to do research on that. But, you know, let's, let's just say uh, our monthly operating expense went, um, you know, originally I would say it was, it started like just, I'm just going to talk like baseline. Let's say it's, it was something like sure. 5,000 is just like me, you know, bootstrapping. And then now I just crunch numbers you know, recently guys. And, and I, I, 
mm-hmm. again, uh, look, I'm just going to say it. We're, our, our monthly operating expense that I calced out last mm-hmm. year was 18000 If we're not making at least $18,000 a month, just oh, to give wow. you a sense mm-hmm. of it. Which, which is yeah. funny because to uh, to big business that's like that's nothing. That's right? nothing, right? Yeah. So it's it's all relative. Yeah. But in terms yeah. of if you're thinking about your personal finances, you know, just for our little operation, making our yeah. our our boxes and our um, other stuff, you know, that that's everything. If we weren't pulling in eighteen thousand, that, that we were not breaking even. That's payroll. That's basically everything but uh, cost of goods sold. So any sure. not not including buying inventory, not including work in progress you can think yeah. of it as if you like if you had to shut down production yeah you know for the most part but your employees would say like a move like if we were trying to move mm-hmm. and it was gonna we were gonna be offline for a month to move i would still sure. have those costs that i would have to pay mm-hmm. right maybe yeah. it'd be a little bit lower because maybe our electricity wouldn't be as high and sure stuff like that. sure but, but you, you know you get that's the general small, small rocks right yeah and there's arguments to be made in terms of like what we put toward marketing and advertising expense and stuff like that so there, there's stuff that you could cut but mm-hmm. the, and that's an that's an average that's an average monthly expense it's a lot higher in quarter four for us it's leaner sure. typically in the summer months this year though we're we're up uh somewhere between 20 and 30% on a lot of our expenses. So we're in the 20,000. And so that gets really scary. If you think about that, if you're not drawing in that kind of stuff. So as you grow, it just feels like you're just adding zeros to everything. Yep. Um, and that's for revenue on about, well, we don't have this year's numbers, but that's for revenue of about three quarter mil. Let's just say for Mm -hmm. round, round numbers. So if you're listening back and stuff, and just give you sense and, and some people might think Mm -hmm. that's terrible. You know, and others will be like, yeah, that's that's actually pretty lean. You know, I I don't know. I'm constantly looking for that information because I, you know, sure. we're, we're curious to know how how we stack up. You operate a little bit leaner, but you're obviously still, mm. you know, in your space yeah. in you. And so, well, yeah, what's, yeah, what's... we're like, you know, I can I can share, you know, some numbers here. Like for us, we are actively looking at trying to move into a facility. Like for those that don't know, we still produce gloop out of my personal house. We've basically modified the house to run, you know, a chemical manufacturing plant. It sounds incredibly crazy, but that's that's what we've done. Um, and, you know, looking at moving to a new space, it, it's it's going from zero rent, zero anything, because I own this house, to, you know, $1,000, $2,000 a month, whatever it might be, wherever we're going to end up being. And it's, you know, that's a huge step for us. Uh, when we started Gloop, our, our first year in business, we did around one hundred and thirteen thousand um, dollars. You know, just in, in total, uh, if we weren't making around six thousand dollars a month, we weren't breaking even. Uh, you know, that's kind of how it was. You know, how it was worked out. Um, and, and now like, you know, business has grown, business is more than, you know, doubled, almost tripled, but it's with that has come all of the new costs to everything else with it. So, so this, this is exactly a pit. It's like, how do we go from where we are now, just being able to support all of this new infrastructure that we're going to eventually have to bring online. And I think your point of, you know, uh, figuring out the, the revenue that, or the, you know, your general burn rate. Uh, yeah. is, is so critical because when we move to a new facility, we will have to spin down this facility yep. and then spin up our second facility. Now, yep. 
the equipment that we've invested in, our reaction vessels and our production equipment, that's not something that we can just go and buy a second one of and put it in a new facility. We will physically have to take it offline right. for several weeks right. as we make the transition. And we're talking, you know, like we've got probably $100,000 worth of very specialized equipment that we have got to move. And if we break it, that is just going to delay everything even further. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so, so let people know what, what area you live in. I think there was some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so we're based here in Illinois, um, okay. right across the river from St. Louis, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, about 20 miles, uh, you know, away from St. Louis. So in the Midwest, the cost of living is fairly cheap. Um, you know, space we can get fairly cheap, but with us, we, we run into really interesting predicament. We have, we're, we're a chemical manufacturing company, uh, and we have to have EPA, um, you know, or we have to follow EPA regulations. We have to have variances. So we have a very limited number of spaces we can go to. Right. Thankfully, right. I was able to get some of these variances for, you know, where I live um, because we're a small business and, you know, worked with the municipality and, and got the economic development committee to say, okay, yeah, let's rubber stamp this project because, Hey, if we can keep them and we can grow a business here, it's, it's good for, you know, our economy, but moving to a place where we're going to have to do a significant amount of retrofit for our, our production, it doesn't make sense for us to potentially lease a space to, to then be locked into that space if we want to ever grow or move. And so we're having the, the mm-hmm. conversations. Does it make more sense to actually buy a facility yeah. and have that renovated for our application? Or does it make sense to just lease something short term and then while we work on that new facility? Right. Um, it, it's a complicated, you know, it's a complicated situation. But Absolutely. Yeah. And what's good for one is not necessarily good for others. And not everybody has, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to either, you know, uh, get a loan to do that or, or to just outright buy mm-hmm. it uh, straight out. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly would love I think a lot of companies would love to have that option, but we, we get wrapped up a lot of times, especially with these pits in front of us and in, in trying to uh get too much too fast sometimes like Mm -hmm. like it doesn't feel um you know like i've ever just been kind of keeping as much in the coffers for like specific you know things like this because we're just constantly trying to like well we need to add new product we need to do more r&d we need to add more inventory and stuff like that and so there's a ton of value in just trying to force yourself to sit down and strategize. We've talked about this plenty of times, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. you got to stop. You got to look back. I, I, I say this more to remind myself, you know, than anything, because I'm terrible at it as well. It's so mm-hmm. easy to get wrapped up in the rat race. Um, sure. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, you know, there's a lot of interesting choices uh, to make. Chris in the chat is, is saying uh, he's house hunting in Northern California. Hey, Welcome. I'll come up and say hi. Uh, his wife is looking at rooms and, and kitchens, and he's looking at locations and places where he can get, you know, outbuildings or uh, garages nice. and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I've started there like we, you know, before I was here, I was on like five acres and we had, you know, I had a little, you know, outbuilding that, you know, was my office space and, you know, plenty of option to build and stuff like that. Um, and depending on what your business is, that can be mm-hmm. a, a great option. I've seen a ton of uh, very successful businesses legally run out of outbuildings. Uh, you know, when you're out in yep. agricultural space, you have a lot more leeway a lot of times. Uh, it depends on the mm-hmm. zoning of, of where you are and what you're allowed to do and, 
and all that stuff. And you might feel comfortable about having hiring some help to to come out there because it's not in your house, you know. So there's there's definitely mm-hmm. options for that. Now, what that means for insurance and other stuff is is different, and it all comes down to what your goals are. Like if you want to be able to operate in that capacity and that's that's mm-hmm. all you need that's great if you think that you may grow beyond that at some point and we never really yeah. know you know i think especially sure. that one of the other hallmarks of what we do is that we're testing the waters you know a lot of the time mm-hmm. and we're just kind of trying to now is this product even viable and and yeah. and is this product viable at scale is another great question because i think that we uh, find these great little niches that we can operate in. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a time, it may do well because there might not be competition or, you know, there's yep. all this stuff. But, um, you know, is this, uh, could this scale to a million dollar, a $10 million business, a $100 million business? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it just depends on what it is we're talking about. A lot of times, the way that people get there is by diversifying, having more than one product, having you know, other stuff. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. going beyond that bespoke Etsy shop, uh, yeah. you know, to something else. <laughs> so, so, you know, you just have to sit down and have those. And there's, there's, you know, it doesn't mean you're committed to it. You can always sell a place. I think real estate, rolling real estate into a business, if you can do that is never a bad mm-hmm. strategy. Cause I've said the end of the day, if you decide you're going to wrap it all up and be done, you've at least got the building or the house or whatever that you yep. can hopefully sell. Now, who knows? Obviously rental markets yeah. and sell, you know, real yeah, estate markets are, are different <laughs> things, but if given yep. enough time in general, the trend is that it's a, it's a worthwhile investment as opposed to just sinking money into sure. rent or um, blowing yep. it on nice cars or whatever else. So. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe that's another good example of the pit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Another one I thought of is like maybe employees and hiring and 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 that type ah, of thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Where going from yeah. just you to feeling because it a lot of times these pits to me come down to commitment. It's it's sure. a, it's like a, a commitment inflection point, right? I'm gonna commit to this two year lease. I'm going to commit mm-hmm. to some extent. Yeah. I mean, again, there's, you can break leases. Yeah. There's, there's other, you know, things that you don't want to sure. have to do, but it's not the end of the world, but you're, you're, you're more stressed out a lot of times about the, the commitment of these uh, mm-hmm. agreements. When, when That's you're hiring, exactly you feel, <laughs> I don't know, unless you're some, <laughs> I'm not going to judge, but I am kind of, <laughs> unless you're some kind of sociopath, it's like you hire people like you care to the to the extent where it's like you don't want to hire somebody and then feel like, well, if we don't do well, I'm just going to fire you in a month. Like you, I mean, you well, can yeah, have you contractors. Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel like you are providing yeah. their, their livelihood. Right. Yeah. And committing to somebody and that like feels massive. Right. And you don't yeah. you always know what you're going to get. And so that's another great example of growth you know, divides. Um, and then going sure. from like one person to five people to 10 people to a hundred people. And, um, you know, the efficiencies that that can create and mm-hmm. destroy and all that stuff. Um, sure. And we're in a little bit of different yeah. places in there too. That's a good difference between us. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, like right now, you know, we're still basically two people. Um, and you know, we're looking at actually pulling the trigger to bring on a third person. Uh, but it's one of those things where, 
you know, for one, like we, we know that there's a lot of things that we've got to do in order to actually make that happen. I don't know if I want to bring in employees to my house, um, you know, but also at the same time, you know, having, you know, now knowing that it's like, okay, well, we're, we, we need, you know, 6,000 or $8,000 a month, uh, you know, in order to, you know, break even, right. if we bring on another employee, now it's going to add another 2000 or $3,000 to that, you right. know, in the cost of their, you know, their benefits, their compensation and all of the necessary insurances that we might need. Uh, it, it just, it adds to that. And it's like, can we actually make that commitment? Cause there have been months in the past where, you know, we've had terrible sales and mm -hmm. we, we saw, mm -hmm. you know, where we lost money two or three months in a row. And had we not planned for these things, you know, we, we could have easily just said, Oh, that's it. We don't have money to operate. Right. Um, you know? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a pit. <laughs> so, so what's interesting about this, like I said, the pit feel to me is mm -hmm. com commitment. And so you could draw analogies, metaphors and personal life and re you know, but, like, but that, mm -hmm. that level, because it's, a, you're feeling like you're making these gambles. You're constantly feeling like you're having to reinvest. You're committing to taking the leap. You know, we talk about, you hear the term like, oh, I want to take the leap into starting my own business. Right. Which is very mm -hmm. much, it's like, I, I had a paycheck, for, for a period I could yep. count on now I have uncertainty, right? So, so that movement into, yeah. I don't know. And, and as you're growing your business, you're confronted with, it's never just one leap. It's a series mm -hmm. of leaps, right? Yes. It's almost like, you know, like you're leaping off the high dive into the pool and then getting out of the pool and then leaping into like off of a larger, yeah, into another into one. Into another yeah. one. That's, that's somehow higher than that's the first higher, one sometimes. And yeah. And if you miscalculate, you know, it, it's just that yeah. much more perilous. Um, so I had a mentor that, that said, you know, it's like every, every move that you make in business, it's just literally, it's an opportunity to fail at a higher level. Right. And, and it's like each one of these things that you're trying to cross, it's like, okay, well, here's another opportunity for this to, you know, fall further down oh, yeah. than where you were before. Yeah. <laughs> the bigger they are, the harder you they know. fall. It's a saying for a reason. I mean, that's but because here's yeah. the thing you're, you're confronted as a, so we're going to get into mitigating some of this anxiety and whatnot. We, not again, disclaimer, as always, we don't claim to have it all figured <laughs> out, but we have had some tactics in all of this, but, um, you know, there, the, the leap, I'm trying to think of how, let me reframe. I, I derailed a little bit cause I was thinking too many things at once. Uh, but <laughs> Gosh, so the, the mitigate the mitigation strategy. Where was I going with this? I let's just let's just move on. Let's talk, let's talk about mitigating sure. and stuff. So the, I, I know what I was going to okay. say. The, the commitment piece, right? We feel like as a business owner, we're committing to uh, a larger purchase. So in the case of purchasing inventory, a lot of times, like so strategies for um, getting a better pricing, you can you can. Um, negotiate what's called like a blanket purchase a lot of times where you may not necessarily have to upfront drop a hundred thousand dollars but if they say over the course sure. of next year i yep. promise you we you know based on my forecasting from what we've spent i will spend a hundred thousand dollars with you if you agree to give me this pricing and we can split the shipment up i've done that a number of times mm -hmm. and it's it's worked out well but mm -hmm. at the same time it feels like nobody's committing to us that we're going to have that amount of sales to drive that mm -hmm. demand and all that stuff. So there's a, it's, it's that gap between um, what you feel like you're committing to and what is committed to you. 
And so yes. there's strategies like when you get into wholesale where you can offer the same thing to your yeah. wholesalers where you want them to sign the contract and say, look, I will give exactly. you this wholesale rate. And then yeah. I can take that to the bank and say, look, not only mm-hmm. do I have a PO, I have a yeah. contract that agrees that they are going to issue this uh, amount and stuff exactly. like that. And that is much more valuable. So that is a that is a technique. Mm-hmm. That is a mitigating thing to try to um, – hedge that divide between that which you're committing and that which is being committed to you. Is that mm-hmm. a, is that a and good way to phrase it? I don't, yeah, what do you think? It, it absolutely is because that's, that's literally exactly what we do here. Uh, you know, we started uh, back earlier this year implementing contracts with our resellers saying, right. hey, listen, we've got to keep our production lines running. <laughs> we know now we've been in business for about four years. We know the costs associated with that. We can start breaking that down and doing some business intelligence internally. And then we can say, OK, listen, we're going to give you these discounts, but we need you to commit to a minimum purchase. If you're not going to commit to that minimum purchase, then your price per bottle is going to go up to these things. Right. Uh, you know, we can kind of use an equation and that really helps smooth out these, you know, these, you know, these, these peaks and valleys when, you know, in coming, you know, in our revenue, and we can actually plan to that and we can say, okay, well, we know that if we come to a pit, we have, you know, this amount of runway or we have this mm-hmm. length of a ladder mm-hmm. that we can stretch over that pit. Right. And yes, it might be precarious walking over it. But, you know, we can get over it over time. Um, right. That's, that's literally one of the best, I think, ways to do it. And then the other piece is, is like, for us, we plan. We plan everything. So um, we had, we launched 3D Gloop with these metal closures. I've talked about this before. The metal closures were terrible. They right. never worked. Right. But what we what we figured out was is like, okay, well, we had to design our own closures and it was gonna cost tens of thousands of dollars to get the mold made and to right. actually get the injection, you know, the, the, the parts injected molded and then to us. And that was a pit. It's like, okay, well, we're gonna commit to thousands of dollars for mold. And if we get it wrong, then we just wasted all of that money, all of that time, all of that effort. But you know, if we get it right, then we can start you know, really ramping up and and everything else. And so for us, it was all about planning, figuring out, okay, we know this pit is coming because at some point we've (laughs) got to solve this problem. It's ahead of us to a balance. (laughs) All about balance. Pay your quarter, get on the carousel, you go around, up and down with the flow. I talk about all the time. It's all about balance. It's all energy, keeping it, keeping it real. Have you come across this where you're, you know, hey, maybe we should put a little bit aside here for- Absolutely. Something so, else? so you know, at, at any moment, right? Um, you know, things, regulations can change. Um, you know, we could, you know, things, things just in general can change for us, and we we're gonna have to pivot. You know, like maybe for instance, like mm-hmm. this stressed us a bit. You know, during the uh, during the pandemic, getting some of the reagents became incredibly difficult. Like Supply, we were able yeah. to, but we it was hard. And, you know, we had to start looking. It's like, okay, well, what happens if if we can no longer make our products the way that we do? Um, and so that's where we, as a company, we spend a lot of money, probably well more than we should in R&D. Yeah. You know, we're like, we're a chemical manufacturer that spends half of our revenue in R&D. Quite literally, it's like half of our revenue. Um, and it's it's about trying to figure out what's next, what what we're working on what's going to be after these products and hopefully you, you know 
generating more revenue from those. Like, you know, we have new products that, that we've been working on for years that we've also, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, we haven't been able to cross the pit of being able to bring these products online because we need another reaction vessel. We need another, you know, facility or, you know, larger space or whatever to help actually do that. Right. But at the same time, you know, we know that we can't just be committed to our, our three or five products that we have and, you know, call it good. Like we've done incredible things with, with, we, you know, the products that we've had so far, like mm -hmm. we've built this business up and, you know, it's been running and profitable for four years now off of the limited product offerings that we have. Mm -hmm. But at some point we're going to reach a saturation or at some point, some, you know, th these aren't going to sell as much anymore and we're going to have to pivot. Uh, right. Or we're going to have to bring on something else. That's right. So, so, you know, that's, man, so, so many challenges with it. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's a great example. Um, risk mitigation, building confidence, hedging bets. You know, I, I would say 50% into, or, well, I don't know if 50% is the right number. I think that's going to differ for everybody, but mm -hmm. having a commitment, you know, if you fundamentally break down research and development investment as a tactic mm -hmm. for risk mitigation is what what it is, mm -hmm. right? It's like, well, we want yeah. we want to we want to maintain relevancy, we want to improve our products, we want to create new products, right? So that we can mm -hmm. hedge. Um, yeah. You know, one would argue that that you wouldn't think that that's fundamentally a bad thing, but the the mm -hmm. time scale by which that starts to pay off uh, yeah. is very long and sometimes non-exit, you know, you're going to hit dead ends. We talked about that last week there where so many dead you ends. get really caught up in like, oh, I've invested so much in this hand and it's really hard to fold a big hand that mm -hmm. you've thrown a bunch of money into. But yeah, I think we kind of alluded to this last week too. And, and this kind of ties together with our organization piece too. Like if you take that and you put it in its bin and you put it up on yeah. the shelf you never yeah. know. It might be one year, two years, five years from now, you go, that was the missing yeah. piece and you pull it back out. So it's, it's, if you keep going, it's yeah. never really lost. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so using that and framework to not uh, depress yourself when you feel mm -hmm. that you've failed, but you've been like, you know what, this just needs a pause. I went through this when I was really, really aggressively trying to pursue active dehumidification in the rep box. Ah, we, okay. I invested so many, I tried refrigeration, I tried heating, I tried all this stuff and, and, and yes, it can be done. And yes, there are other products that exist out there and all that stuff, but it was not right for me at that time. Does it mean that I'm giving up on it entirely? No, I'm, but I have no. no problem putting a pin in it. And that, that teaching was valuable. Like there was, mm -hmm. there was value to that. So you know, sometime that investment takes longer to pay back and you're going to, you're going to come back and you're going to be in better space. Sometimes you need to spend that money to learn the lesson that it was not the right course of action. And that has value mm -hmm. as well, but we don't really ever yeah. give it value for that. Right. Cause if mm -hmm. you don't get that experience to learn that lesson, you're never going to know. Yeah. You know, what you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think, your point is well taken, though. Investing in R and D as a mitigation mm -hmm. strategy to navigate pits is is an, a really interesting way to to frame it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's oftentimes a luxury of some degree and some amount of time and success. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, if if things were a little bit different here, like let's say for instance we had 
uh, lower margins on our products. Uh, yep. You know, we wouldn't be able to, you know, spend what we're spending on constant iteration, constant tweaking of the formulas or constant upgrades or, you know, looking towards that next thing. Yep. Uh, it, it just, it wouldn't happen. Right. Um, you know, had, had, you know, things changed slightly differently or earlier on, you know, again, we probably wouldn't be where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think the important piece is, is that strategies for mitigating the risks around these pits need to be dynamic too, because like you yes. said, sometimes you don't know the size of the pit no. and when you get to it <laughs> or you've underestimated it, you've got to figure out how to you climb back out of that pit. Right. Um, and some you know, pits, like we, some pits yeah. have sarlax in them that are like, not only do you die if you fall into it, but yeah. the thing is the thing in it that's trying to eat you. Yeah. So you yeah, don't even they, know they what's in you. the pit to begin with either, but yeah, sorry. I, yeah. I couldn't well, yeah, that. no, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. Like for, 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 you know, there, there's a couple examples, but I think I'll take the, you know, I, I talked a lot about our caps. I'll, I'll, I'll continue on this one. Um, you know, our caps, we realized about three months into it that we had, probably chosen the wrong material and the wrong type of dye for the 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 purple caps and it would leach into the product over time Mm -hmm. and this would Mm -hmm. cause some unhappy customers and and that's didn't think of of that you know yeah yeah Yeah. we didn't think of that and we just we saw this this pit of okay we need to get to our own closures and we need to solve this and so we did, but it, we got almost all the way there and then we fell and then we realized like, oh, well, wait, there's actually a design flaw in this as well. We didn't right. account for some of these other variables. And so now it's like, okay, well, if we need to redo the mold slightly, we're talking around another $6,300 for mold revisions. And then on top of that, the cost of the material change to switch out to more expensive material. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't properly estimate the size of this pit when we got into it. Right. And, and so now it's like, okay, well, how do we get back out of this? How do we continue selling our product and, you know, continuing to do all of this stuff while still trying to figure out how do we solve this problem that we deal with and, you know, move forward. <laughs> I, yeah. So, man, that's a, yeah, that's a tough one. The, the, the unknowns and the size of the pit mm-hmm. and what you're dealing with. I can think of it, you know, in the 3d printing space, I think one of the things that we as makers need to watch out for is we, we want, we use that tool often as just the end all be all like, well, we can always mm-hmm. come up with a printed part. That's what it feels like happens for us. We can always just come up with a printed well, part. Until when we all get you a have is a hammer, everything becomes and, a nail, when right? All you have is a hammer, everything <laughs> becomes a nail, right? And and we make a lot of assumptions around uh, just because he can 3D print it does not mean that it will succeed as a printed part. Like there are failure mm-hmm. modes and stresses of the parts that oftentimes we don't, you know, just mm-hmm. because I can take it from CAD to physical um, product yeah. doesn't mean it's great. One of the things in mind that we're working on currently is there's a there's an end stop sensor on the uh, on the CR30 that uh, it's just an optical trigger so that you know when it when it hits. But we're we're coming up okay. with a kit for the for the Y rail replacing the rollers with linear rail. And in order to do that, we have to move that end stop part. That's just the probe that basically breaks the optical sensor to say when the Y axis is zero. Mm-hmm. And sure. so, of course, we go, well, uh, it, on the on the machine itself, it's just this metal L bracket, but it wasn't an ideal thing to be able to reuse based on the geometries of what we were dealing with. And so we're like, well, we'll just create a printed part. But unfortunately, like even with different materials and stuff like that, we were finding like 
if you bumped it when we printed this thing, because it, it, anything could have broken the optical sensor, mm-hmm. it would just it was snapping off too easily. And so it's like mm-hmm. ultimately, like, will it work? Can we try it? So we tried it with different materials and stuff like that. And we may have something that works for now, but ultimately maybe we'll have it machined. I don't know. Um, sure. So so we use my point is is we oftentimes use these tools as um, a quick and dirty stopgap, and then we allow probably more beta stuff out into the wild than we should where we're inve- there's a little mm-hmm. technical debt associated with that where it may come back yeah. to be future customer service problems or a recall sure. like you had where it's like oh i didn't even count for the fact that you know mm-hmm. this could be leaching yeah. into my product yeah yeah you know, you've got a lot of different considerations when you've when you're worried about the chemistries of stuff over time mm-hmm. we found a lot of parts that are great and strong strong like um are, are still susceptible to be seem to become brittle, especially thin wall materials and stuff like that. So we don't kind of mm-hmm. consider um, it might be fine at launch, but you know, six months down the line, it's just not holding yep. up the way that we wanted to. Right. It's so a long term. Yep. And that stuff is tricky because it's, it, it, it chips away at your brand perception. If you let too much of mm-hmm. that stuff exist out there, you know? Yep. So, yep. um, I don't know. Is that the pit of design? The pit of uh, of <laughs> of uh, yeah, rapid yeah. implementation of of quick to market I, I of minimum viable products. I think it's, yes, it's. I think it's the pit of the MVP. Yeah, I, I think it really is. Is is and then you need to move away, right? It, like it, this is a perfect example. Like MVP gets you across the pit partially, but then there's so many other pits around you after you've crossed <laughs> that MVP pit right. that you've got to start figuring out how do you cross all of these? And if you stay with MVP for too long, you're going to fall into one of those pits right, right near you. Cause those mm. pits are constantly growing. Things are changing. Oh, sometimes the, the pits, pits shrink. Growing. Sometimes they grow like back, yeah. black holes sucking up everything. Yes. Event horizon. Yeah. And so now it's like, mm. can you accelerate <laughs> fast enough away from these pits to actually get, you know, oh, we're very metaphor heavy on this this show, this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, and that's where technical debt comes into because it's like yeah. you know the the yeah uh, the byproduct of MVP is technical debt. Oftentimes, I don't know if is that a yeah. waste waste product of MVP. Could you phrase it that way? It, it, sure. Yeah, you could call it a waste product. And then what's just this is a bit of a digression, but what what's the counterposition of mvp a mature established product what do we call that yeah. it's maximum well product you know i don't know I, I think it's i think it would be kind of uh you know you just call it a mature or a you know a you know a tested product or mm. you know something that's just existed in stable and release very stable yeah 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 it's not to say because I know. I'm never a big I think as makers we look at things and we say like well it's never really done because if we were ever to go yeah. back there's probably everything that you've made if you ask somebody mm-hmm. you know that's a maker that made something and you go well, okay I but what it, what do you what are you gonna yeah, yeah, the, yeah. and they'll tell you like twenty things that they would change right but yeah. as a business entrepreneur or maker um, we just strive for uh, stability and there there may be. Yeah. Still incremental improvement. Like we're still making little incremental improvements yeah. to rep box, this but it's is, pretty mature. This is a great topic for another yeah. episode. Is like reaching product maturity. Well, let's, and when 
you know, when do you call it? Okay, this is mature. And how do you then turn on the widget factory and produce that number of widgets over and over and over again without constantly wanting to go back and change it, right? Becoming that creeping elegance, if you will. Perfect. I agree. So let's put that in the in, in the bucket for yeah. next time. I think that puts us at a good uh, stopping point for today. Uh, if you stuck with us this long, we appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much for, you know, subscribing, liking, uh, like I said, yeah. please, if you've, if you're listening back later and you want to join us on the live stream, we do that every Friday, 9am on YouTube. Uh, we love having your comments, uh, always have the option to call in as well. If that's something you guys are interested in joining the conversation physically, we welcome that as well. Um, but until then, thank you so much for joining our conversation. I hope you, you found some good nuggets in this and if there's one takeaway that i would leave you with it's like i said keep getting those data points keep marching forward and realize that these pits are navigable and you will mm -hmm. you will get past them but uh, it, it is completely normal to encounter them and to have your moments of feeling like you're you've fallen into the pit or you're never going to get to cross this pit and that stuff it's all about giving it space breathing uh sometimes it requires sleeping on it a number of times but you will get past it and it is yes. something that everybody encounters, whether you're a startup or a multi-million dollar, you know, business. It's just uh, part of the journey, right? Absolutely. All right. Really good uh, uh, chat, Andrew. Always a pleasure. Yes. And I look forward to uh, another one next week. Guys, until right. then, everybody enjoy your weekend and we will catch you on the next Maker That Money podcast. Till then, Pooch from Repcord and Andrew. Andrew from Gloop. 